Welcome to Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. And now, here's your host, Work Mom. Hello, and thank you for joining us. It's time for Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. Today, our topic is narcissists at work. I'm not sure if you've ever worked for one or know that you're currently working for one, but it's really interesting. I had a couple of experiences, not until I was in my, you know, 50s did I really realize that narcissism was a thing at work. I had a couple of really crazy difficult bosses, um, the kind that Monday would come around and you just, you didn't want to go to work. Your stomach was in knots before you even got out of your car. Or Friday, you were, you know, virtually crying tears of joy because you were out of the toxic environment. And with a narcissist, when you work for a narcissist, if you've ever experienced any kind of trauma in your life, um, and I know everybody talks about trauma like it's got to be something huge that just happened, um, like a cancer diagnosis, or, you know, you got mugged in the street, but it's not really that. Um, trauma can take so many forms. Um, for example, maybe you lost a parent when you were really young. That's trauma. You may not even realize or remember it, but you created certain thought patterns and behaviors based on that trauma. You may have been traumatized in some way with, you know, uh, sexual abuse, even coercive sexual abuse as a teenager. Um, you may have um, just had a really bad experience with an abusive boyfriend. I mean, there's so many ways to define trauma. And what happens when you are traumatized and you haven't resolved the issues is you are vulnerable to narcissists. Mm -hmm. You're vulnerable to narcissists in relationships, boyfriends, husbands, wives, girlfriends. Narcissists can be male or female or non-binary, I'm assuming. Um, it's not something that, um, really is very selective. Um, what I have heard and our guest, I hope we'll talk about this a little bit. I have heard that it's the spectrum of trauma response that on one end, you get the impasse, the people that are really sensitive as a result of trauma. On the other end, you get the people that maybe are very overvalued and feel like they, you know, they own the world and they become very narcissistic as a result of their trauma and their unresolved trauma. But we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, I want to introduce you to Heather Coleman Boss. Heather, I've known for ooh, three or four or five years. It's going on a little while now. And I met her when she was doing career coaching. And I know now she's kind of branched off into becoming this um thought leader in the area of narcissism and dealing with narcissists, but I may have that a little bit off. So Heather, tell us about you and the work that you do. <clears throat> well, thank you for having me. I actually think that maybe we were friends many years ago on Facebook and then became friends in yeah. person about yeah, we were, four or five years ago. I think we met on Facebook like ooh, 10 years ago, at least. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I knew who you were, what you were doing and when we met in person, it was like we'd known each other forever. I know. It really was. <clears throat> Sorry, my allergies are flaring up a little bit. Um, so I am a career coach, um, and I am also a life coach. I'm certified in both, and I'm currently getting certified for as a trauma-informed coach as well. Um, 
And I have for the last, gosh, 15 years, been in the career development and career coaching work, you know, professional arena. Um, And I had my own little business, Career Savvy Coaching, that I started in 2010. Um, But right around the time that you and I met, I actually got my LLC and um, took it full time in 2018. And I primarily work with people who are ready to take that next step in their career. I do work with younger people, um, but I do have quite a significant amount of people that are in the 45 plus bracket that are ready to just they're done. They're done with toxicity. They're done with all of that. It, it's time to move on, take their expertise and either start their own business or many, many times find and identify a healthy company culture, move move up and, you know, make more money, more generous mm-hmm. PTO, flexible scheduling, a lot of remote work right now. Um, the way that I traveled into this toxic workplace and NPD abuse recovery is because twofold. I'm a survivor. Um, mm-hmm. I had I grew up in a very abusive home. Uh, both parents I I know are disordered based on things from the past and and what the therapist back then um, had told me. And then um, my and then I ended up unfortunately getting into a very abusive marriage with someone who is diagnosed with um, antisocial personality disorder, which if you want to think about it, it's a step above the narcissistic personality disorder. One step beyond. Yeah. Yeah. I I have to say, I totally relate to that because what, what I think you find when you come from a traumatic childhood, which I have a similar experience, Mm -hmm. you repeat the pattern. And I married my angry mother. Mm -hmm. My first husband was my angry mother and Mm -hmm. a narcissist. I'm a survivor too, but I didn't know that that's what he was when we got divorced 20 years ago. Right. Well, and that's why it's been so important since about 2015, 16, this started to become a topic with people like Dr. Romney and Dr. Les Carter and others who were on YouTube. And then when TikTok came around, that was just another platform where this is exploding. And sometimes people on the platform say, oh, narcissist is being thrown around too much. No, it's not. We are finally bringing it out to light and we are finally putting the pieces together like you just did. Um, you're very, so the other part of what I do with my business is I do help people exit abusive relationships. And then I also help people, I help clients deal with the trauma of the toxic workplace so that they can regain their confidence. We work on their inner voice. We work on, you know, um, identifying the traumas and healing those while we're simultaneously moving them forward and into new healthy companies. Um, and I just had seven people accept offers the last week and a half. Oh, that's amazing. So exciting. Yeah. That's got to feel yeah. so good, especially with a focus on a healthy workplace. So mm-hmm. in talking about that, you talk about trauma informed. What does that mean to you? Or what does that mean? Well, trauma informed means that you have a therapist or a coach who understands what trauma is, how it manifests the patterns that you are going to repeat. So as an example, if you go to couples counseling with a narcissist, they are going to use that against you. They are going to try to manipulate the therapist. They will abuse you verbally, emotionally, you know, physically on the way there, on the way back and for days afterward, if you start telling the truth. A trauma-informed therapist in this situation should be able to identify the distress signals that are coming from the victim. 
Got a it. trauma-informed coach. Like I have therapists who refer me because I just, a lot of us coaches specialize in these areas where therapists, they have a much, they have more that they deal with than that. Right. Um, and a lot of therapists didn't get the education back in our day. So now it's starting to come through in their curriculum, but back then it wasn't. And so a lot of them don't feel equipped. Um, it's also being trauma-informed also means for a lot of clients that they wanted somebody else who already understands the language because mm-hmm. all survivors understand a language that no one else should ever have to understand, but we get it. Mm-hmm. So if somebody says something like, yeah, my, my spouse hid my keys because he knew I had an important work meeting, I would be like, oh yeah, they do that. Somebody who isn't trauma informed would be like, well, maybe that was a lack of communication. Maybe if both parties communicate more effectively, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now tell me what that means in the workplace, because I've started to hear people talking about trauma-informed workplaces. What does that mean? I think what a lot of companies are trying to do right now, uh, and the pandemic has had a big influence on this and how people are not willing to be in those workplaces, those toxic workplaces anymore. So what we're starting to see with companies that get it in in their mission and values and throughout their website and their interviewing process is um, mental health days. There's a company one of my clients just interviewed for where they offer, well, actually she got the job. Um, They offer one mental health day a month that you can accrue on top of the paid holidays and the three weeks vacation. Mm -hmm. And they are a trauma-informed workplace. So the, she was just telling me, my, my client, that her new boss was like, I see that you've been working through your lunch. That's not healthy for you. And we don't expect that. We want you to have self, you know, self-care. Or she had an appointment with her therapist that was already scheduled. And then a meeting was being scheduled at the same time. And she said, I guess I can change my appointment with my therapist. And her boss said, no, that is more important. We need you mentally healthy. And we support everybody if they want to get therapy to get therapy. And we would never want you to skip that. So it's those kind of workplaces. And I think that it's still going to take a lot, a while to get every workplace to this place because there are so many that are toxic and patriarchal. But right. um, we're starting to see this sense of understanding that if your employees' are, well-being is forefront, they are actually better producers And the Mm -hmm. culture is healthy and the retention rates stay, um, you know, the retention rates aren't so high or it's not so many people aren't leaving their workplace is what I'm trying to say. So they maintain their retention rates. Right. Yeah. They lose a lot fewer people when Mm -hmm. they're taking good care of their team. And think about the places where you've worked where, you know, something awful happened in your personal life and the boss was just cold. Mm-hmm. It tells you something about how they value you, and it goes into the column of reasons that maybe I shouldn't work here. Exactly. And if you're yes. an employer that's stuck in command and control, old way of doing things, that's that has been blown out of the water by the pandemic. It sure um, has. Yeah, I have a couple people. Um, we have a small digital marketing agency beside my podcast that I do, and we have a couple of young women that are in their 20s, mid-20s. And we were laughing the other day and I actually asked one of them, can you imagine getting up every morning 
early and putting on your whole thing, your, you know, your face and doing your hair and your perfect clothes to go in and, you know, sit at a desk and work all day and don't get out of there till five and fight traffic there and back, maybe get lunch, maybe not sit in meetings. Ooh. Can you imagine? And they laugh because that's God. not what they do anymore. And they don't want to do that anymore. So no, we have no. to make the workplace attractive and, and they're, you know, and the whole thing about the endless meetings, right? Like a lot of meetings that I know you've probably experienced the same thing are really not set up to brainstorm and collaborate and support each other and help each other out. They're set up so that the toxic boss can feel important that they're heading up a meeting. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and the, and some sometimes like I've been in meetings that lasted four hours, everybody is brain dead, everyone's upset, and then they have to commute home, you know, and, yeah. and so yeah, that that whole model is it's on the way out. Um, I always laugh when I hear some commentators saying, you know, but what about, you know, Generation Z, they're never going to experience all of the benefits of being with their coworkers and colleagues. Gen Z doesn't really operate that way. Like they're fine go to getting on Zoom or maybe coming into yeah. a hybrid plan and coming in once a week or whatever. They're fine. They've been yeah. raised this way. It's, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? It's those it's the people rest that of are us. the ones that are, yeah. yeah. It's the rest yeah. of us. Well, let's dig into this narcissism at the office. Um, you just talked about um, how people would, you know, bosses will keep you in these or used to keep you in these long meetings. I've noticed that narcissistic bosses like to do that too. They mm -hmm. like to encroach on your mornings, your evenings, and almost make you prove your loyalty and value by how far you're willing to go, how many mm -hmm. hours you're willing to work. If they mm -hmm. call and tell you Friday that they need you all weekend, are you there? So mm -hmm. let's talk about, because God knows working for a narcissist is incredibly painful, especially for those of us who went the empath way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm totally, I'm full of empathy and sensitivity and I will look for ways. The other thing too, is I'm a bit of a fawner. Mm -hmm. And if you're a fawner as, yep. as your trauma response, you, which, oh, just a quick explanation. We all have responses to trauma, fight, flight, freeze. We've all heard of those. Mm -hmm. Um, fawn is a relatively new one, which means you will do anything, including subjugate your entire humanity to appease the narcissist and make them happy or the mm -hmm. person who's causing your trauma, whatever, whoever that is. So if you're a fawner and a narcissist comes along, you, you are just a match made in narcissist heaven because, mm -hmm. or narcissist hell maybe. Um, <laughs> but how, yeah, exactly. How, tell me a little bit, how, what traits are common in narcissists at work? Well, narcissists, so there some you're going to have like that overt narcissist. They're like, you know, they're loud, they're brash, you know, they're arrogant, they're, you know, they really do think that they are the best thing ever and everybody else better feel the same way too. What a lot of people don't know is that there are the covert narcissists and those narcissists are very sneaky. They're the ones that will hide your mouse and then sit there and laugh because you can't find it or they're um so that so depending on their personality you know they could be overt covert they can be malignant which is a step closer to the sociopath so that's where you're going to see people that are deliberately like doing workplace mobbing things like that trying to you know cause triangulation between employees by what's workplace taking... mobbing i gotta hear about that <laughs> i did a, a tiktok on it um i'll send oh, it to good. you 
So tell me who you are on TikTok so we can go look you up. Oh, I'm Heather Coleman Voss. That's V as in Victor OSS everywhere. That's just, just find me on any platform. So workplace mobbing is when you have a group of people usually targeting the top performer, because again, the top performer might have that, most have that tendency toward fawning, like you just said. And they resent and are jealous of this top performer. So they will, it's like, like school kids, bullies. Oh yeah. They will start bullying them to try to get them to, to push them out. Sometimes the abusive narcissistic boss participates in that or causes it. I've seen it. I've seen it. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So so triangulation, what's triangulation? (laughs) So triangulation is when a narcissist will try to get two people to be jealous of each other and fight for the narcissist's attention. And oftentimes the narcissist will um, create the situation. Well, narcissists, if we're going to say attention, the word that we actually use in the community is supply. So this got it. It's like, it's like yeah. a, it's almost like a drug to them. Yeah, right? it is. It is. They become yeah. addicted to it and Got it could it. even be negative supply. So if, if you're praising them and stuff that will work one day, but then the next day they will come in and shout at you and then you'll get upset and you, you might, you know, you might fight back or you might shut down, but either way they're getting supplied of your reaction. So when they're triangulating people, they love watching the hurt feelings between the people that they're triangulating and they love seeing the stress and they love seeing the fact that because narcissists love chaos and they love chaos because then they are controlling the environment. Got they it. Are, okay. So it's like, there's two different ways that we talk about this. So one is like, they're, they're playing the video game and they're in charge of the characters and they're in charge of the people on their team and they're in charge of all the moves and everybody else just does whatever the controller, you know, the narcissist has them do. Another way to look at it is the narcissist is the movie producer and the director and you are going to, yes, and the star, yep, and all of the other actors are the supporting actors and they will be directed to do what the narcissist wants them to do. Um, and because narcissists actually think that they own people, mm-hmm. like I own you, you're mine. And that even we see that in the workplace. So it follows the same toxic abuse cycle that you would see in an abusive family system or in an intimate partner, domestic violence abuse system with the narcissist and the victim. Got it's it. exact same thing. So it's the exact same traumas. Uh, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it in workplaces um, where it seems to be the most common in my personal experience is CEOs of mid-sized companies, small to mid-sized companies. So they're the CEO, they've grown something big, they have that charm and stamina and power to do it. And then they, because they're CEO, it's like their own little fiefdom Mm -hmm. and they do what they want. And I have Mm -hmm. watched bosses destroy people. I've watched them, you know, one in one case, just, oh, we're going to hire this person and she's coming in and she's worked at all these great places and wait till she gets here. She's amazing. And she shows up and everybody's excited and they introduce them, you know, introduce her. And within a week, they're trash talking that person to everybody. Mm-hmm. She oversold mm-hmm. herself. She can't do this job. And basically you watch this person just kind of shrivel at the negative, um, 
force of energy that is just bestowed upon them by the narcissist. Right. You know, so it's so interesting that I don't know. I mean, how do they know how to do that? That's what I can never figure out. Okay. So narcissist targets strong, successful, attractive people. That's who they target. That's who they want. They want those people on their team. They want to be able to say they hired that person or mm-hmm. they got that person to move in or marry them. Right. Or they, so right. they actually, people think that narcissists target weak people, but narcissists have zero self um, respect. They are very, very, um, they have a lot of toxic shame and they have very low confidence because confident people don't try to bring other people down. Right. Right. So they target these people that have the qualities like we do and typically are top performers. Now, you will get some of those overt, grandiose narcissists who are top performers because they love the prestige and the money and all that. But the majority of the top performers in the workplace are more on the empathetic side or the, if you want to say empath side. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is they love bomb, right? So the beginning of any toxic relationship. And so in this case, this company, you know, CEO, whoever it is, is love bombing this person to get them. And they think it's a healthy culture because the trauma that we have shows up at this point. We, if we were not nurtured, if in our childhood in you know, previous relationship, whatever, and we didn't get that love and respect and that, you know, the safety, we're used to chaos but right. the love bombing seems real because they're putting on an act. It does. So, it feels so real when it's happening. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow, I'm a rock star. They really like me. And you feel all excited about it. And then how long does it usually take before they come at you with the knives? <laughs> usually within in the workplace, probably within about three to six months, maybe earlier. Depends. Um, but that's where so many people, just like in an abusive relationship, all of a sudden they turn on you and you have no idea where it's coming from. So that's that devalue stage, right? And there, there's a, there's the love bombing and then there's that kind of calm and then there's the tension building. And then all of a sudden, boom, here comes the devaluing. So you're in this state when you're in the tension building where you're like, something just doesn't seem right, but you can't really figure it out. So maybe they, you say good morning and they go morning. And usually they're like, oh, good morning. And so you're like, well, that was weird. Well, maybe they're just in a bad mood. Well, maybe something happened. I'm sure it's fine. Right? Like that kind of response. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I mean, my clients where they will have had, they had bosses that actually walk in and slam the door. And so they're physically triggered or they'll start shouting at them or they'll just glare at them. There's so many different ways, depending on the type of narcissist that they are, but it's all devaluing. And so then the person generally is like, you know what? This place is crazy. I'm going to, I'm out of here. And then guess what they'll do? I picked you up some coffee. Hey, do you want to go to lunch today? It's on me. And so now we're back in love bombing. But the problem is the cycle tightens and tightens. So it happens faster and faster and faster. And what these people know, and it seems to a healthy person would see this and be experiencing this being like, oh no, I'm out. I'm going to start looking this place. But People that haven't haven't resolved that trauma keep trying to make it better. They keep trying to get back to where they were. And so they work harder. And these people know this. So instead of building them up, which actually is what keeps people long term, they tear them down and build them up and tear them down and build them up. 
and people just get numb and frozen. It's serious because it's abuse. Yeah. And that's where sometimes people feel like it's better to stay in the hell I know because what if I've I find something heard that. worse? Oh, yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that so often. I'd rather stay where I am, you know, because at least I know what's the bad about what's here. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's really bad. Are you sure? <laughs> you know, but well, and there's, there's also a, a numbing that happens and, um, abuse amnesia too. So people will say, I know it's bad, but I don't really think it's that bad, you know, or they just, they just kind of, so if you think about if, if the baseline for people, for the abuse and trauma that results from that is up here. Like this is where I am all the time. I, this is how I used to be. I grew up up here. There was always abuse. There was always cortisol dumping. I've always had insomnia. I've always had GI mm-hmm. issues. This is what's normal. I, this is where I'm at, right? And where I live. you get used to this. So where a normal, like healthy situation, relationship, workplace, the baseline is like here. It's way down here. Yeah. This is healthy. This is normal. You know, consistency, calmness, you know, effective communication, you know, that type of thing is normal. So a lot of people get very unsettled when they get into a workplace that is calm. They're like, what's wrong? When's the next shoe going to drop? Right. So that's why I coach them into the new job too, because does that make sense? It's like coaching someone into a new relationship where if abuse is what you are used to from the opposite, you know, in a relationship and a partner, you're used to that, then that's what you'll look for. You know, mm-hmm. if you're used to that in your childhood, if chaos reigns in your childhood, you'll create it in your young adulthood. Ask me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> I like to say my 20s were a rolling train wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, I was given a lot of support people that were there for me to help me grow past a lot of that trauma. But here I was in my 50s and I ran into two of them and I just went right into it. So how do you recognize a narcissist? You mentioned something about you have red flags and green flags. Tell me about mm-hmm. that. Because I know for those of us who are sensitive and potentially trauma informed in our approach to life, um, what do we look for? Well, a red flag to look for is the love bombing, right? So it's, and it's, it's inappropriate because they, they don't know you yet. So to say, and this would apply to relationships as well. So in a relationship that a new relationship that looks like within a week, you're so beautiful. You're so gorgeous. You're the most handsome man I've ever met. You're the most amazing person I've ever met. Oh my God, you're my soulmate. Oh my God. I know it's early, but I think I love you. Right. In a, and in, in my healthy relationship that I'm in now, I literally thought my boyfriend um, wasn't interested in me because, because he didn't, he love didn't say anything. He didn't say anything like that. Yeah. yeah. He just wanted to get to know me. Our first date was a tour walk all around the city. And, you know, um, now being together a year and a half later, we've got all kinds of sparks in chemistry, but it didn't start out with that. You know how you said earlier, they'll find each other. My therapist said, narcissists and empaths are magnets. And so if you're in a workplace and the interviewer is just so effusive, right? And when they hire you, they're, like you said, talking you up and all this stuff, it should be more like, tell me more about you. You know, I'd love to hear about some projects you did in the past. You know, what do you think about 
this new role and what, you know, you might, you might see that we're not seeing because, you know, we've all been here a long time in a toxic workplaces, you know, they're going, it's going to look more like, you know, I'm so glad I'm the one who made the decision to hire you because you're phenomenal. And so it's more about them and you making them look good or, you know, them saying stuff like, um, you know, the person that was in this role before was terrible. And I'm so glad that we got you because they were just awful. Like, I can't even believe how long we dealt with them, but now you're here and you're, does that make sense? Oh, it sounds so familiar. (laughs) It sounds so familiar. Oh, we had somebody that did this job before you came along. Oh God, they were just so, they just didn't know how to do this, you know? And the other thing that I've noticed that, that as a, once you've accepted the position, Mm-hmm. Sometimes they really hide it well, don't you think? Oh, yeah. So once you've accepted the position, if you hear people or the senior leadership team trash talking people on the team in front yeah. of other team members, it's a really good indicator, right? That there's some some crazy toxic energy. That That is so absolutely inappropriate because a leader, right, as opposed to a manager, And I'm not even talking about title. I'm talking about how people think. So if you're in a position of influence, a leader is really supposed to lead from behind, right? Mm -hmm. Let the team lead and they're there to support them and prop them up, right? So a toxic manager is probably going to be a micromanager. They're probably going to be telling people on their team that they know more than they do, even though they literally have no idea how to do their jobs, They will step in when it's inappropriate, make poor decisions, and then when it doesn't work out, put it on the person that they forced to do that. And that, you know, so then they're not to blame. Well, it's your job. I would assume you would know what you're doing in your job. You told me, you know, like that. Uh Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I've been there. Heard that. Also, if you... There's oh, boundary stretching is a big thing too, oh, right? Yeah. Where they want to see how far you'll go to meet their needs. Yes. So if they, if you start answering texts at nine or 10 o'clock at night, or say on a Saturday or something like that, um, or you're on a vacation day and they're texting you, things like that, that's done purposefully. That is done to try to see how much control they can exert over you. And when you set a boundary with a narcissist, the very first thing a narcissist is going to do is they are going to bust it harder. They're going oh, to come yeah. after you harder. Now, if you said to me, Heather, I, well, I'll, I say this, I tell my clients, please don't text me during the day because I, just like when I'm with you, I don't want to be distracted. So I don't look at my text messages during the day, but you can email me and I can, I have my notification set up so I can check. So a narcissist would be like, but I'm more comfortable texting. And I thought it was more important to you than that, right? Or, or what I, that type of language where right. somebody who is healthy would say, that makes perfect sense to me. Or if you say, you know, I know that you felt like you needed to get in touch with me at nine o'clock at night, but I was just getting my kids to bed. That's really not good for me. Could you shoot me an email instead? I'll answer it in the morning when I get to work. The healthy person would say, Absolutely. I will only text you if it's really urgent. Don't feel obligated to get back to me, though. I, you know, we'll get back together in the morning. So, does that kind of 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a real there's a, a distinct difference between mm-hmm. the narcissist and the healthy boss. Mm-hmm. So any other red flags that people should look for? Um, another really big red flag is if you are an employee who has been recognized in some way, if you've been given an award, if you've been, I don't know, asked to do a radio show, if you show up in an article, if you just get like employee of the year or month or whatever it is, the narcissist boss is going to act like they're proud of you that day. And then by the next day, you but you expect a devalue. Expect them to start picking at you for something, embarrassing you in a meeting, throwing way too many projects on your lap because they are very resentful when other people get the attention. What I, If you're the narcissist, I can look for another opportunity. I can look for promotion, but you can't. You belong to me. This comes back to that ownership. You betrayed me. Instead of thinking like every adult has the their full right to look for opportunities that will benefit them. And if they have a family, their family, right? The narcissistic boss looks at that as a betrayal. Also, narcissists are extremely paranoid. This is part of the smear campaign. Oh, got it. Okay. Got it. Tell me about that. So with a smear campaign, and this shows up in a relationship and in, in the toxic workplace and in the abusive family system, when a narcissist senses that their victim is onto them and the the mask has fallen enough times that the victim is starting to realize like this is an abuser this is not what i thought it was this isn't somebody who has a bad day here and there this is you know cyclical right and so when they start to wake up and see this at that very moment that the narcissist senses that they're starting to be onto them and it happens a lot earlier than people think I'm they not- will start rumors. They will start little, and it's just small things. Oh. It, 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 it's not to the point of she sucks at her job. It's right. like, you know, he, he looks depressed. I hope he's okay. Oh, I had it happen to me directly in a mm-hmm. meeting. It was with the, the one, one of the CEOs. And I had a very dear friend that was in the meeting that I was calling into. And while I was talking, the CEO was putting me on hold and saying, I told her, and she was supposed to, and I sent that to her at six o'clock. She should have had that up by nine with me on hold to the whole room. And she told me about it. And I was like, that's weird. Why did she do that? Because I'd never had anybody do that to me before. I thought that was just something you saw in, you know, bad sitcoms when people (laughs) trash talk everybody that's not in the room, you know? So, so any other red flags? Oh God, there's so many. (laughs) Love bombing. These are really identifiable. Love bombing, um, smear smear campaigns. um, What else? Well, another thing that a narcissist will do, and you see this a lot in the workplace, is everything has to be their idea. So I used to actually teach a class called Managing Up. And that that. was years ago. And that's when when I started to sort of get into this toxic workplace stuff. So... A narcissist loves to tear your idea down because most of these people that are these narcissistic bosses are actually a lot of people think narcissists are very intelligent. The cerebral narcissists are, but a lot of them are just manipulative and they're sneaky and they're not that smart. And because they're not and they don't take and it's and I'm not even saying IQ wise, although that can also be true. But they don't care enough to invest themselves in self-growth and in learning 
right? They don't care yep. enough to figure out what are the new best practices? What is design thinking? What is a human-centered workforce? I want to explore that. No, this is how I am. Accept me how I am. This is how I've always done things, right? Last seven words yep. of a dying business, right? And so <laughs> they get furious when their employees who are below them on that little pyramid actually have more knowledge, have more expertise, are better with the community, are better with the team, you know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have to make something the boss's idea in order for it to go through, that is a huge red flag. And if I can give an example. So let's say you had a boss and you were like, I want to do this. um, I want to do this podcast on toxic workplaces and, and, you know, abusive bosses. And your boss said, well, that doesn't even happen. Like, what are you talking about? This whole toxic workplace thing is so overblown. Like, I mean, why do people even think this? No, we're not doing that. I swear to God, if you go back a week and a half later and you say, hey, remember when we were talking about toxic workplaces and you said it would be a good idea to do a podcast? I I can make that happen. Like, when do you think we should do it? Should we do it this Wednesday or next Wednesday? And they'll go, I thought you were already on top of that. You should do it as soon as possible. I love it. I love it. And then it. you're like, and so what that actually is, is counter manipulation. But uh-huh. the difference between being manipulative and counter manipulation is the person doing the counter manipulation is trying to make things better. They're trying to make things better for the company, for the team, for the right. kids, whatever the situation looks like. So the counter manipulation. So in a relationship that might look like, the narcissist saying, if you don't stop, I'm leaving and I'm not even going to tell you where I'm going, blah, 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 blah. And you go, oh, no, please don't go. Please, please don't leave. And they go, I'm leaving. And you're like, oh, thank God. Now I have a, you know, <laughs> I have a, a whole night of peace ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> but it takes a while to get to that point. And you don't want to live there because you don't want to get narcissistic fleas, but it can kind of help you at least for a while in the toxic workplace to be able to perform at the level you're supposed to, because they, again, these, these narcissists don't really know what your job entails. So they will make decisions that will adversely affect you, your department, your team, your role, things like that. So you use it for good, but when you get to that point, you also have to put an exit strategy in place. It's time to get out of there. Oh yeah, definitely time to go. And it it is funny because I, I recall so many occasions where, um, you, you know, you feel like you're really good at your job and then you go in front of that narcissist Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden your confidence is shot. Mm -hmm. And over time that is so damaging. So I say anybody who recognizes those red flags, get out, start Mm -hmm. your, start your search, hire your career coach, do whatever it takes to get out of there for your own mental health and also mm-hmm. for your physical health, because the yes. kind of manipulation that a narcissist does is potentially um, can send you into all kinds of physical disorders um, related to how your body responds to that stress and what you call those cortisol floods. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, when you're constantly dumping cortisol, right, this this is directly going to affect your, it's going to affect like your GI, you're going to end up with potentially having really severe GI issues. It's going, your hair can fall out. Um, You, a lot of people develop rashes. There's inflammation issues, migraines, insomnia. It's bad. Autoimmune. 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 Yep. And then. And if you don't know, cortisol is a chemical that your body releases 
when you're stressed. It's a hormone that has a purpose, right? For amping up your body and getting ready to fight, flight, free, you know, fight or flight. If you have to do that, freeze, you don't need it, but, but it, mm-hmm. it's in small doses, it's okay. But when you're living in trauma, you know, if you've had a childhood full of it, or you're working for a boss, or you're in an abusive relationship, your your body is doing what, what Heather's referring to as cortisol flooding. So mm-hmm. quick explanation there. And then I also wanted to add to what you're saying. Um, a lot of people end up with anxiety, depression, and what is hopefully we're going to see in the next DSM. So we have the DSM-5 right now, which shows all the different you know, disorders and so forth that people have. Mental health disorders, psychological disorders. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people think they have PTSD, but what they actually have is complex PTSD. And so that means, so PTSD comes from the incidents, like you were mentioning before, like the car accident or witnessing a death or something like that. Complex PTSD is when the abuse happens over and over and over and over again. And so you are in a constant state of being ready to be triggered, of being ready to be in, like you said, that that flight or freeze response or whatever. And so when the trauma is ongoing and recurring consistently, that is complex PTSD. That is very bad. I was diagnosed with that a few years yeah. ago before I, I got just it. learned about it. And I, what I learned about it that I found so fascinating, Heather, was how, if you, um, if you had a childhood full of abuse, you'll get, you know, you think of PTSD flashbacks, regular PTSD flashbacks as, oh, you're seeing something happening again and having all the feelings and experiences with complex PTSD, you can get a, just an emotional flashback. It's just a mm-hmm. flashback to the constant feeling of, you know, terror or, you know, hurt, you know, hurt heart, I would say, mm-hmm. um, you mm-hmm. know, sadness, depression, abandonment, and, and they can come back just out of the blue and just leave you feeling mm-hmm. really uncomfortable. There is a lot of different kinds of therapy, or there are a lot of different kinds of therapy that you can use to get through it. But there is a really good book, the guy that, that, that first came out with it, there's a book, I'll put it in the notes for the podcast, that wrote a book on complex PTSD. I heard about it from a woman on Twitter, and I swear I told her she saved my life because it was just mm. such a great understanding. And he was the first, his book was the first place that I saw the fawning conversation. And mm-hmm. I had never heard of fawning before. And he gave that a name because it is so common with people who've had long-term trauma you have to develop a way to, to, to handle that situation. And some people will fight. Some people, that's where you see a lot of kids, you know, a lot of high school boys, especially, um, end up getting kicked out of school and doing a lot of fighting and, and that kind of, um, and turn into abusers because fight was their response to the trauma mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. time. It's very hard to break that one. Anger is a lot easier, feels a lot more powerful than sadness. So you develop a lot of really screwed ways to handle your emotions besides, being vulnerable to narcissists, such gifts we get from our parents, right? Yes. I was going to say the boomers have a lot to answer for. No offense to any healthy boomers, but yeah, that we can get into all that generational trauma stuff too, because all of this like has an effect. I did want to say something with regard to the therapy. I have um, a lot of clients, but also personal experience with EMDR. Oh, I love EMDR. It's the best. I love it. 
So EMDR is going to take the fear, which is a valid fear. So in my example, the sociopath I was with, one of his favorite things to do was road rage. And he would, he was that road rager and he loved scaring me in the car. When they can get you in the car, they have you trapped, right? Um, and they can be screaming, yelling, road raging, almost causing accidents, all that oh. kind of stuff. So I have severe anxiety about driving. Before the pandemic, so I'm going to go back, um, and I could probably do it virtually, but my previous therapist, who is a doll, had me doing the EMDR, which is your eyes just traveling back and forth at a certain pace, and then you are thinking of the memory that you're just causing the anxiety, and that's really it, But right? Like, it's very simple, but for me, I, on the second the second time, because she had changed her office, so it was about six, seven miles away, and it used to be like a mile away, I was terrified to go anywhere beyond like my area. And um, the second time we did the EMDR, I was home before I even realized that I hadn't had one single scary thought about driving. That's it's awesome. wild. It's yeah. so good. It's something to do. What does it stand for? Eye movement desensitization i always forget the something like that but yeah they i did when i did it they used basically the way she explained it to me was that you were connecting the right and left sides of your brain while you were thinking of that memory and that helps you bring logic to that emotional side and recreate a more logical belief right i love yep that makes total sense and that's why the anxiety and it just you you get the sense all of a sudden you're like looking at it from an object more objective more logical point of view I, mm -hmm. Mine did it with hand buzzies. You held these little things in your hands and they'd buzz oh. one side, buzz the other side, buzz one okay. side as you remembered and talked about the story. And it really does help you bring the the logical side because I think when you, especially when you're, when you're raised in trauma, you create these beliefs that you, maybe when you were five or six years old or maybe even pre-verbal and those beliefs are so deep that- mm -hmm. With EMDR, you don't necessarily have to dig, dig, dig into it. You bring it up, it connects the two sides of your brain, and it just dissipates it so much quicker than I think traditional, you know, cognitive-based therapy. So you're, so you're so right about that. Cognitive, be, cognitive-based behavioral therapy can be a good behavioral thing. Behavioral therapy, yeah. But there's new research. And I, and I mean, I have, I have therapists that I work with and I'm always checking with them, but there's research that's showing that that's actually been very traumatic for people because the old model was let's go talk about all the terrible things that happened in your childhood, which is just re-trigger, 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 right? Yeah. Now, as you just said, they don't have to do that. We don't have to talk about those things unless we want to. So lots of times I'm sure you've heard this therapists are just saying talk therapy instead because- yeah. Talking and saying things out loud is so powerful because once you get it out there, it's out there, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be the childhood stuff. Right. You know, it could be what's happening right now. So let's figure out yeah. with these other methods how to, yeah. And I've always thought, I've always found that when you have to explain what's going on in your head to someone else, it often makes more sense to you. It does. And as you're explaining it, you go, oh, you know what? And that person might have a point of view perspective that you don't. So I, I highly recommend getting help. And I'm a firm believer in coaches. I've got 
three of them right now. (laughs) (laughs) Three performance coaches. Coaches Coaches are awesome. And a lot of the things that we're, that we're digging up are old, old things. So anyway, um, it's highly recommended that you do whatever kind of work you need to do to resolve your trauma because it's so worth it. Um, so let's talk about the green flags. Now, how do you know a workplace is healthy when you're interviewing? Yes. So, um, green flags would be, um, even from the early, early stages, is the communication consistent? You know, like, a, like even if the people are busy, you should be getting something back. Hi, I know that we said we'd get back to you this week for your third interview. Things are a little bit crazy. I hope you can hang in there with us. We'd love to see you next week. I'm going to send you a date and time, right? Yeah. That's a green flag. Um, green flag is also, do you hear enthusiasm and passion in people's voices, right? When they're talking about the company. So are they trying to convince you it's a great place or are they actually enthusiastically talking about the company and each other? Another really great way to look at it is um, are people, even if it's a Zoom interview, are people interacting um, in a way that looks like they have an easiness between them? Is there some laughter? Um, you know, healthy laughter, um, and do people seem genuine? So, like, if they're hard selling you, that to me is a red flag. Also, mm-hmm. watch out for we're just one big happy family. Now, some companies genuinely mean that in a positive way, but a lot of times that's not positive. That is a way that toxic workplaces will rope you into working way more hours and putting up with abuse because you're just like a family. So. The question mark in my mind then is, what kind of family? What does this family system look like? But generally speaking, people are going to be welcoming. They're going to be authentic. It's going to be calm. You're not going to hear any yelling. You're going to hear conversations and people, you know, um, who can communicate effectively. Um, One more green flag, and then we'll move on to a little bit about strengthening how to protect yourself how to recognize the things that you're doing that may be causing you to stay in that environment. So green flags. Um, well, a, a big one is, does it seem like people can have fun together there? Genuinely. You know, most, yeah. Genuine fun. <laughs> like not, and, and that people talk nicely about each other, you know, like, of course there's always going to be something that pops up here and there where somebody's stressed about a situation, but it's not, um, it's not in a way where you are like, trying to destroy someone's character, let's say, you know, so a situation might be, oh, I'm so frustrated, you know, so-and-so didn't meet the deadline. And so now I can't do this. That's one thing, but to be, but then to get over it and then move on. Um, People who talk well about other people are talking well about you and people who talk poorly about other people are talking poorly about you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, just, just kind of an easiness in, in the workplace and a supportiveness you know, a green flag would be like, I'm a little overwhelmed. And you saying, well, is there something I can take on to help you out? Those are the kind of cultures we want to be in. Absolutely. Kindness. I had, uh, I had um, thought of making the suggestion that you see if you can find someone who used to work there. And, yes. and see if they will, who used to work there is the key. Mm-hmm. And 
unfortunately, that can backfire on you as it did me. You want to hear this one? It's hilarious. It's short. <laughs> um, I called a guy that I knew on Facebook. I'd never met him in person, but I, I knew him well on Facebook as far as engaging with each other fairly regularly. And we were both in social media. And I was going to this small agency and um, I'm changing the names to protect the innocent. But I said, hey, I saw you work there for about nine months. And he had moved on to a great big company. This was a smaller agency. So I figured he moved on because it was a bigger company. I said, so tell me, tell me what it was like to work there because I, I got an offer and I'm making my last, you know, decision-making kind of thought process is, is happening. What do you think? And he said, oh, well, I cannot say anything bad about Mark and Susan. Think about it. <laughs> it, was a, it was a shit show. I wonder if he didn't sign an agreement and he couldn't say oh, anything it, oh. bad about them. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I've also like, heard another one that, oh, well, you could do a lot worse. Oh, you could do a lot worse than going there. Any responses like that, that, that if you, and it, I don't think it's a bad idea to call and ask for references of people that used to work there. Um, and also look at their glass door in their indeed reviews, because that to me, um, the ones that are kind of messed up, you'll see five five star reviews, and then you'll see one star reviews, mm-hmm. and then you know it's kind of manipulated. Yeah, right? yeah, that's true. That is absolutely true. You know, like there's always going to be people. Everybody's different. Some people like certain places. Some people don't. Sometimes there's a disgruntled employee employer e, but if there's a trend. Take notice. Another thing you can do in addition to what you suggested, which are both amazing suggestions, is go onto LinkedIn, look up the company and then search and see who used to work there or who Mm -hmm. currently works there and how long they have worked there and kind of get in a feel for those people, too, because, you know, um, that's another strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I agree with you. I am so tired of these. And you know how I get mouthy on Facebook every once in a while. I'm very tired of these employer employers always wanting people's references. How about you give me some references? I want some references from your past employees, you know, um, because I think that is a toxic practice in and of itself, especially when they ask you for your current boss as a reference. That's just dumb. (laughs) I think that's a big red flag. Oh, that's I, huge. And I, I tell my clients, you know, I absolutely, like you can say, I have absolutely no problem with that if I decide to take your offer. Exactly. You can, but before that, because that, again, going back to the story you were telling earlier, can you just, that that's what happens. They find out you're looking and if you have an abusive narcissistic boss, now you're going to get targeted. Exactly. So, yeah. Good ideas. Okay. So let's, um, how can you, if you're an empathic person like so many of us, um, setting boundaries and limits and giving up those people pleasing behaviors can be really hard. Sure. Um, any tips on how you can actually recognize those things in yourself so that you, so you don't get stuck? Because one of the things that I've noticed in those kinds of companies is there are certain people in those environments that get stuck and you look at them and they're beaten down by the narcissist, but they're still there six years, 10 years, 12 years later. And you know that they're that they don't realize that they could go somewhere where they were treated much better. Right, so, because yeah, over time you learn to believe that inner critic, and the inner critic, all that is, is any 
abuse that's been projected into you. So you're not good enough. You'll never, nobody, another company will ever hire you, you know, that all those kind of things, like, yeah. you know, you just don't care about your work, blah, blah, blah. So that comes same thing as no one else would ever want you, you know, you're a psycho, whatever they say, right? Like yeah. whatever it is, it, depending yeah. on the relationship. So yeah. I do an exercise with my clients that sounds a little cheesy, but it helps so much. And I have some videos on my TikTok about this, but doing that inner critic versus inner voice work. Mm. So what we do is it's just a simple Microsoft Word table, two columns. What does the inner critic say to you? You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You'll never make it. This is as good as it's ever going to get, right? So yeah. you're not good enough. Inner voice loves you. Inner voice is the nurturing voice who knows you the best, who always wants the best for you. And we don't use that inner voice a lot in this society. We That inner critic is always there, right? Yeah. So the reframe, you're not good enough. You are a wonderfully talented individual. Mm-hmm. No one else would ever want to hire you. Many companies would be happy and proud to have me on staff. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of do that. And it takes a while, um, but I have my clients come up with as many as they can, put it on your fridge or put it on your phone, like whatever you need to do to see this. And then eventually, you know, and you're just working. So every time those thoughts pop in your head, you immediately inner voice, immediately inner voice comes in and right. it takes an effort, right? But oh, yeah. after a while, my clients will just delete that inner critic and they just work on the inner voice stuff. And then pretty soon, because this still happens to me. I still have the inner critic pop up, but then I'll, I can just do a quick reframe. And then I tell my clients, sometimes it's fun to name them like, okay, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love that. I love You're that. You're not good enough. Okay, Chad. <laughs> all right, buddy. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> I like to say, all right, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. We can move right. on now. Okay. You're just full of it. You know, because it's so true that we, we are our own worst critics. And that's a big part of complex PTSD is that harsh, harsh inner critic. You'll take on the voice of that parent that, that, you know, criticized you your entire childhood and you'll do it for them because that's kind Mm -hmm. of how our, our minds, our brains are wired based on past experiences. So this has been amazing. I really, really appreciate it. This is going to be a long podcast. Um, and Heather, tell us where people can find your information. And I'll also post it on the um, website so that people can reach you. Where would you like oh, them thank- to get in touch with you? Thank you so much. Oh, this has been my pleasure. I will come back whenever you want to continue these discussions. I would love awesome. to do this again. Yeah. Um, and thank you to everybody listening. You can find me at my website, which is careersavvycoaching.com. That's two Vs, careersavvycoaching.com. And on there, you will see options for career coaching packages, life coaching packages, or um, I do some one-on-ones Not that's not in-depth coaching. Um, all the links are on the website. Um, if you sign up for a career coaching discovery call, it's a 30-minute free call. And... Um, that's where we will go ahead and, you know, talk about your situation, see if we're a good fit. And if we want to get you into a new workplace and then you can find me on all the platforms, but the, my primary platform that I'm on the most right now is TikTok. So Heather Coleman Voss on TikTok. And then if you'd like to be my, follow me on Facebook, you're more than welcome to do that as well. That's where Lori, Joe and I've been friends for so many years. I know. <laughs> so. I like to say that um, if you want to, if you think you might be in a situation with a narcissist and it sometimes it's hard to tell, um, 
keep an eye on Heather's TikToks because you will start to recognize, <laughs> oh my God, my boss does that. Or, oh my God, my husband does that. And I've done a lot of research. It's really helpful and makes you feel not crazy because mm -hmm. narcissists can make you feel like you're absolutely stark raving nuts. And um, you're not, they are, but they're really manipulative. Mm -hmm. So here's to overcoming our um, inclinations to soothe the narcissist and taking care of ourselves instead. Um, yes. Thank you so much for listening to Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. And we have a contact form on the website. I would love to hear from you. Um, if you have a guest you'd like to suggest, if you think you have a great idea you'd like to talk about that would be of interest to young professionals in the workplace, um, or if you want to nominate your worst boss, we'd love to hear about that too. So the contact <laughs> form has all kinds of great information that I, I'd like to hear from you. So please use that. Um, we'll be back soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Work Mom Says. Don't be an idiot. For more information, you can email Work Mom at lori workmomsays.com. That's lori at workmomsays.com. And remember, <sighs> don't be an idiot. Thank you.